This is the Immigration Conversation presented by Fragman, a series of talks and discussions by leading immigration lawyers and professionals from around the world. We'll bring you the most up-to-date business immigration news, issues of concern, and strategies in the world of global immigration and mobility. Hello, welcome to the third in our series of Irish Immigration Podcasts brought to you by Fragman Island. Uh, my name is Bill Foster, um, Managing Director of Fragman Island. Uh, the topic today is Irish citizenship and residency solutions. Um, it's, a, it's a hot topic, uh, particularly when we look at um, um, citizenship rights um, within the Irish diaspora, particularly in the UK uh, as a result of Brexit. Um, so we hope you find this interesting. Uh, with us today is Hangel Velo-Cortez, who is the um, uh, practice leader for Fragment in Ireland. Hi, Bill. How are you? Very good. Uh, Stephen McRae, who is a qualified barrister and the manager of the uh, Fragment Island private client team. Hi, Bill. Hi, Stephen. And Christina D. St. Maurice, who is a specialist in our private client team uh, and also a former consular official at the Irish um, um, Consul in San Francisco. Hi, Bill. So um, I think uh, it's probably worth uh, us starting at the very uh, basic level angle in sort of giving a, an overview on Irish citizenship options in general. Um, perhaps I could start with you and ask if you could sort of talk a little bit about what the options might be for somebody who is um, who is um, Irish, who has Irish ancestry. Thank you, Bill. Sure. So, I mean, I guess the, the first thing maybe to highlight is, you know, who is an Irish citizen at birth? And they will be those who have been born in the island of Ireland. So that's not only the Republic of Ireland, but also Northern Ireland. And they were born in the island of Ireland before the 1st of January 2005. So no matter who their parents were, if they were born in the island, they are automatically Irish at birth. Why is that date relevant, the 1st of January 2005? Because it is some, you know, that we had a referendum because in the past, anyone born in Ireland, no matter who the parents were, was automatically Irish. That changed. 2004. So if you're born in the island of Ireland after January 2005, and both your parents are non-Irish nationals, uh, you might still be Irish if one of your parents was legally residing for three out of the four years prior to your birth. Uh, so that's that's important to to remember. Uh, those are the basic rules, in essence, in terms of birth. Now, you may have individuals who have been born outside Ireland, but one of their parents was an Irish-born citizen. And in that case, then that individual will also be automatically a citizen at birth, even though he or she may have been born outside Ireland. Again, you know, a similar rule exists in, in most countries, so no controversy there. Now, in terms of ancestry, so here, I suppose we're talking about grandparents born in Ireland or great-grandparents born in Ireland. So uh, there is no automatic right at birth, I suppose. You were born outside of Ireland. Your grandparent was an Irish-born Irish citizen, but you are not automatically Irish. However, you can become an Irish citizen by way of foreign birth registration. 
And I know Christina will be talking about that in great detail later on. But in essence, that's, I guess, your, your pure ancestry application. And we'll apply it to those who have been born outside Ireland, but have an Irish-born grandparent or great-grandparent in certain cases. The great-grandparent scenario is, is rare. I suppose it's, it doesn't work all the time, but we certainly, you know, succeeded in several cases. And, but I suppose it requires a much more specific set of facts that uh, does not always apply. And then the final avenue is naturalization, which is when you become a citizen on the basis that you have resided in Ireland lawfully for a determined period. The difficulty with naturalization, I suppose, is it's a discretionary decision, unlike rules regarding birth and ancestry. I mean, I suppose if you tick all the boxes in terms of birth and ancestry, you have an entitlement to citizenship, whereas with naturalization, you have an entitlement to apply, but ultimately the Minister for Justice and Equality has discretion to grant or refuse the application, but obviously in accordance with, you know, with a statute and natural justice, if you like. Uh, the main rules for naturalization is that you'll need to show that you've been residing legally in Ireland for five for five years, generally. Uh, there are certain rules in relation to absences, uh, and there's also a, a good character requirement. And the nature of that requirement has been litigated extensively, and again, we won't get into that. But just to just to highlight the naturalization, I suppose it requires a period of legal residence in Ireland. Not all residency permissions will be reckonable for the purposes of naturalization. Uh, more favorable provisions exist for spouses of Irish nationals, for example, and there is a good character requirement as well. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's the overall view of the different uh, citizenship routes. Thank you, Angel. And I, and I think for the, uh, the, the sort of the, the, the majority of the remainder of the podcast, I just want to talk a little bit, uh, concentrate a little bit more on that sort of uh, second category that you talked about, which is um, around um, citizenship through descent and ancestry. Um, and we're talking about a, a huge Irish diaspora here, you know, uh, estimates are you know, 35 million people in, in the US alone, five to seven million in the UK. Um, and I think, Christina, the starting point for that in terms of even considering, um, options through descent or ancestry is to, is something called a foreign birth registration on FBR. Um, could you talk a little bit about the, the, um, entitlements to citizenship using the FBR process? Yeah, thank you, Bill. Um, so the FBR process, so also known as the foreign birth registration, uh, one thing that's really interesting about it is not a lot of people know about it. And as you mentioned, there's a huge Irish diaspora in the UK, in the United States, Canada, and Australia. Um, so basically, as Angel touched on a little bit as well, is if you have a grandparent born on the island of Ireland, so again, not just in the Republic, on the island of Ireland, you can be eligible for a foreign birth registration. And it doesn't need to be all four grandparents or even two grandparents. You just need one grandparent born on the island of Ireland to make you eligible for the foreign birth registration process. You can go through a great-grandparent. I think a lot of people see that on the web. You know, you can get your Irish citizenship through a great-grandparent. And it's a little tricky here because it's really based on if, if whether your parent received Irish citizenship through their grandparent born in Ireland before 
you were born. And this can be quite a tricky situation. Um, and it comes across us a lot as adults, you know, just saying, oh, I wish my, my parent just did it before I was born, then I can be eligible. But all in essence, the foreign birth registration process uh, currently is taking about 12 to 18 months to process. Um, you have to provide three generations of official documents. Um, and this can be across various different jurisdictions. Um, you can be missing documents. But essentially, you need to supply three generations of documents showing a lineage all the way through. All the names have to match up. All the dates have to match up. Um, and then the foreign birth department will grant you an, a, what's called an FBR certificate. And once you have that certificate, you're an Irish citizen. Um, you're eligible to apply for a passport. You're able to kind of live and work in Ireland and in the EU. Um, so that's stage one. Um, once you have the certificate, you can turn around and apply for your Irish passport. And that can be also a tricky situation because the FBR department and the passport office are two separate departments and they don't cross speak to one another. So you have to supply some of the documents again in order to get your Irish passport. All in all, the process can take over two years to kind of get everything situated and done. In relation to our kind of what I want to talk about is this process can be quite complex and it can be quite hard to navigate through, especially when you don't have all the documents or you don't know where to begin. And then what I find most common is that we have to kind of fill in these applications when there's gaps. And by gaps, I mean, you know, you don't have the original marriage certificate of your grandparent. You don't know where your grandparent actually died. Uh, you don't have any connection with your parents and you don't know where to access their documents either. So what we're kind of here for and what I find the most fascinating and interesting about these applications is it's kind of a massive puzzle piece and you need to fill in all those documents with supporting evidence if you can't find it. Um, and what's also kind of quite common for a lot of applications is that there'll be name changes for those who... Um, immigrated over to the U.S., you know, they changed their name through naturalization, um, their previous um, adoptions, there were uh, previous divorces as well. So all of those need to be accounted for and evidence in order for you to get Irish citizenship. Um, and one kind of suggestion that I like doing for people is if you're considering going for your own foreign birth registration application is forward and backward mapping your own certificates um, you can see, you know, starting with your own, you know, your parents' details and, and kind of backward mapping to that. So all in all, the kind of the FBR process is, is, is a very exciting one. You can learn a lot about your family's history, um, a lot about, you know, your own Irish connection and, um, you know, where your family emigrated to. That's what we're here for. You know, I, I particularly like the, 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 the fact that as part of this process, you learn a lot about your family history um, and the concept of filling all of those gaps. That leads me on to a, a, the next point, which I'll throw to you if that's okay, Stephen, which is what if you can't fill those gaps? Um, through all the will in the world and Christine and the work she does, um, we're still not able to, to link everything together or indeed um, we can't make the link to a parent to grandparent to great grandparent so we're unable to to have somebody qualify on the basis of ancestry are there other options for those who don't qualify for an for an fbr and i'm particularly thinking here in relation to residence options for those looking to um, live in ireland or you know eventually reside and naturalize in the future do you have some thoughts on what sort of options might be available to those who thought fit outside that sort of diaspora group where we can't uh, meet all the criteria. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, we, we get a lot of people, I mean, who, who think they have Irish ancestry or who, who, you know, refer to themselves as maybe Irish American or Irish Australians or Irish South Africans. Um, but then that, that generational gap is just too wide for them to rely on the FBOR process that Christina has, has gone through, which is, which is really, I suppose, the optimal solution for people. So where we can't do that for people, or where they are people who just love Ireland. I mean, the amount of queries that we get of people who want to relocate to Ireland because they visited once or twice and fell in love with the place. And I suppose we're very lucky in Ireland that we're quite a popular country. People tend to like it when they come here, um, despite the weather. So uh, we do get a lot of uh, a lot of queries along those lines. And there's a lot of things that we we can offer to people and and that we can we can try and help them out with. Um, I mean, Ireland has become even more uh, popular and even more of a focus point in recent years, um, you know, because the UK has obviously left the European Union and Ireland remains as an Irish-speaking common law country within the EU. Um, so it's, we're becoming popular for all sorts of different reasons, aside from the people, the landscape, for business and, you know, a good place to do business as well. Um, so I think there's, there's lots of options for people. Um one thing that I would mention that can be very popular is something known as Stamp Zero. Uh, and Stamp Zero is, is a bit of an odd permission. It's, it's really a discretionary kind of permission um, that's designed for a few different purposes. But really what people may be interested in is if they are of independent means. So generally speaking, we'd be talking about people with, with some personal wealth who, who want to relocate to Ireland and don't have another avenue to sort of obtain Irish citizenship. Um, or, you know, have a, other links to Ireland. So what Stamp Zero really allows people to do is if they can demonstrate that they have, um, I suppose a significant amount of, of, of savings. And if they have a, a significant income, generally speaking, we'd be talking about maybe 50,000 euros after tax, um, plus a, a, a large enough lump sum. The government will consider an application for residence from those people on what's called a Stamp Zero permission. Uh, and that's what they call a, low level permission so it doesn't give you a right to work and um, it doesn't count towards future citizenship or anything like that but it does allow you to reside in ireland and i suppose live independently here and enjoy the country enjoy quite often its retirement for people in ireland and um, so stamp zero can be a, a really useful option for people in that category who have those means and who want to um uh, move here. It, it doesn't allow you to have any sort of reliance on the state. So you'd be expected to have private medical insurance and use the private healthcare system. Um, and you wouldn't be able to have recourse to any sort of social welfare or anything like that. It's very much for people who can live independently, typically buy a property here and, and live here. And as I say, it's, it's usually people at the retirement stage of their lives, but it's not limited to that category of people either. Um, a few other options that people uh, may want to consider, um, particularly from business point of view, uh, one is the what we call the STEP program, which stands for the Startup Entrepreneur Program. And this is, I suppose, one of the suite of kind of investor migration options that the Irish government options. And the STEP program is a little bit of a, a niche one because it relates to people who want to come to Ireland to start a high potential startup business uh, and have money to invest in that and intend to employ people in Ireland. 
So people with a business plan and with a real plan to do that, to realize a million euro in sales within three or four years uh, and to employ 10 people in Ireland within that similar sort of time, they can get uh, a very good immigration permission, which is known as Stamp 4, which is kind of the holy grail of, of immigration permissions in Ireland short of citizenship because it allows you to live here, it allows you to work here, it allows you to run a business here. Um, so the STEP program is something that people may want to consider if they um, if they have that, that bright idea that they think might be a good, high-potential startup and they want to use Ireland as their base. Uh, for people who don't have that idea, but who may have significant personal net worth, uh, there's the Immigrant Investor Program, which uh, I suppose many countries have an Immigrant Investor Program, um, but it's important to say the Irish one doesn't offer what they call the golden passport. It's not buying citizenship. It's it's making a significant investment in Ireland uh, through a number of ways. It could be through a local business. It could be into an investment fund in Ireland. It could be in a real estate trust, which is a, a type of company that exists on the stock exchange here. Uh, or it could be a significant contribution to an Irish charity um, through an endowment, which is which is quite a popular option. Uh, and those investments range from about €500,000 for the charity option uh, up to uh, €2 million Euro for the real estate option. And it varies between those two points. Um, so the IIP, the Immigrant Investor Program, is actually very popular uh, because it gives a lot of variety in how that investment can be made and the amount of the investment as well. The 500000 uh, investment in a charity is very popular because you're doing some social good. You're giving to a charity in Ireland. Um, and it's also significantly, I suppose, cheaper perhaps than some of the other investment options as well. Uh, and what you get in return for that investment in Ireland is, is quite significant. You get that stamp for permission again. So permission to live in Ireland, permission to work in Ireland and run a business in Ireland. That also extends to your family members. So if, uh, the investor has a spouse and three kids. They can come along and enjoy that stamp for permission with them as well. Um, and that's children under 18. But if the kids um, are over 18 and under 23, if they're still financially reliant on, on the parent and if they're in education, they can look at getting permission as well. So it can actually be very useful for uh, the children of investors who want to do uh, university education in Ireland. Um, and it's very popular for that reason. Uh, and you can actually get a discount. You can get a discount of up to €50,000 off your investment if you're going to be paying for education in Ireland. So it's actually a very sort of uh, dynamic sort of option for people. And I suppose the key headline with it is you don't have to live here full time. To maintain the permission, the investor has to visit once a year uh, per calendar year. Uh, and that that's significant and it gives a huge amount of flexibility to people who may have, you know, they may have business interests in other parts of the world. They want to spend a few months here a year. It gives that real sort of flexibility. Um, and if the kids then want to come and go to college here while the parent is elsewhere, that's a possibility too. So it's really sort of um, useful for people who have that significant net worth. Uh, so so they're, the, they're the real other options that exist for people who have that sort of affinity for Ireland or who want to invest in Ireland. Um, and we assist with all of them. Thank you, Stephen. And, and of course, not forgetting the um, employment-sponsored employment options that we've talked about in the past in, in, in this series. Um, 
I just want to pull together what each of you have been saying and, and perhaps sort of summarize in saying that clearly from what there are lots and lots of options available from ancestry to investors, etc. Um, and I just want to spend a few minutes in closing to, to sort of perhaps look a little bit to the future and some of the trends. Um, and maybe Angel and all of you, please step in if you have any thoughts, but Angel, I'll, I'll direct this to you at, at least initially. There's a lot going on at the moment. Um, you know, we talked about Brexit impacting people's decision when it comes to looking for potential ancestry options. There's, you know, political uncertainty and, and, and obviously the, the big elephant in the room at the moment is the, is the, is the global pandemic. Now, Ireland is a great location listening to everything that Christina said and, and, and Stephen just said. Really, it's a, 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 there are lots of opportunities from, from a, um, an immigration perspective. Um, what do you think the future will look like though? Are, are you seeing any trends or any sort of changes in the future? Well, I certainly see a lot of interest in Ireland at the moment. And I think Stephen and Christina would agree with me. I mean, we, we get, you know, a lot of interest certainly in the, in the ancestry route. Again, for obvious reasons. I mean, given this, the huge size of the, of the Irish diaspora worldwide. So I suppose I, I expect, I mean, the number of applications I believe has increased dramatically in the last couple of years. And I think it will continue to increase. Uh, Again, given the size of the diaspora and, and something that is really important to remember is this, is that Irish citizenship is not only a gateway to the European Union. And again, as Stephen said, will be, you know, the only common law and English speaking country within the EU. So it's not only a gateway to the European Union and the freedom of movement and establishment in any other European country. It's also a gateway to the UK in a post-Brexit world, because Irish citizens can freely reside and work in the UK post-Brexit, which will not be the case for EU citizens. They will need some sort of immigration permission, but Irish citizens will not. So I suppose from a mobility perspective, uh, an Irish passport is arguably the best EU passport you can get. And there's a lot to be said for that. So Certainly expect much more interest in the ancestry route for, for those who are eligible, of course. Obviously, in terms of, I suppose, uh, our corporate clients, we see their employees naturalizing regularly after five years, and that trend will continue. Uh, I do expect, hopefully, more clarity on that piece, because the legislation can be quite vague in terms of you know, which periods of absence from the country may be discounted by the government when calculating the entitlement to naturalization. So, and there's been a lot of litigation on that as well. And I believe that there is a, a forthcoming amendment to the legislation that hopefully uh, might address that piece. So, so hopefully we'll have more clarity on absences, but certainly we'll see more naturalization applications. Uh, and finally, just to conclude, in terms of the rules regarding birth. I, I, we had a very significant referendum about 15 years ago when, uh, you know, uh, that changed a number of things. I honestly don't think that will, if that's likely to change. I think the rules regarding ancestry and birth are well established now. And I don't, I don't anticipate any changes in, in that space. 
Thank you, Angel. And I think it's interesting that you linked in a little bit with what Stephen was saying in terms of the increased interest is not just because of um, interest from those with Irish heritage, but we're seeing that across the board um, um, from those who, who don't claim a, a connection through ancestry, which I think is also very interesting. Um, so with that, I'd just like to conclude and thank each of you for, 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 for your contribution. Um, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Um, and I hope that you've enjoyed this series, uh, a podcast from the Fragment Island team. Um, uh, and we hope that we'll be back with you shortly with some um, new updates and podcasts in due course. Thanks so much. The Immigration Conversation Podcast is presented by Fragment the leading firm dedicated exclusively to immigration services worldwide. This episode is current as of the date of recording. With frequent changes in global immigration, be sure to keep up to date by visiting our website at www.fragamin.com and subscribing to the Immigration Conversation on your favorite podcast service to hear the latest episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal advice or give rise to an attorney-client relationship between any listener and our firm. If you have any questions, please contact the Global Immigration Professional with whom you work at Fragamin.